Cheer up, Brian. You know what they say. Always look on the bright side of life. This is Joey Cantillo, and you're listening to Friars in the Farm Podcast. If life seems jolly rotten, there's something you forgot. Welcome to episode 205 of Friars in the Farm Podcast. I'm Donovan, and with me is Roy. Donovan, I'm trying to look on the brighter side of life. Are you looking on the brighter side of life? You know, I, I, yeah, I'm trying to look on the brighter side of life just in general as, as a way of my life. But, um, you know, I, I even after a decent homestand with the Padres, I, um, you know, I, I don't the 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 light at the end of that tunnel to get anywhere near the playoffs is pretty far. It'll be historic. I mean, it would be phenomenal for them to really come back and have that historic second half of the season and, you know, sneak into the playoffs or hell even get above 500 and several games above 500 to just kind of salvage the series or, you know, salvage the season. Um, But we'll, you know, we'll see how that goes. I, it, the way I see it, they need to go on one of these streaks where they win like 12 out of 14 games or something, yeah. something crazy like that before, before we can finally confidently say, okay, yeah, this team might be back until then. They're just going to tease us, you know, have yeah. a couple of good yeah. games and then a couple yeah. of not so good games. <laughs> uh, but you know, I kind of, I've, I've kind of, I've, I've learned how to just be Zen with all of it. Yeah. And I'm going to take what comes. And so now we've got the draft to talk about. Yeah. We've got the all-star break to talk about. We got some stuff going on with minor league baseball with ups and downs of minor league baseball to talk about. Yeah. So it's, it's, everything's all right in my world right now. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I, uh, we, I'm, I'm dating the Padres again. We're, we're dating. Um, Lydia, <laughs> Lydia and I, you know, we, as we always say, we do the breakup. But after like three or four days, well, actually, I took a week off. Didn't watch a whole game for a week. Um, and then we're losing. Um, when they got home, I'm like, God, I just want to watch. I just want to watch a ball game. Like, God, I don't care if they win or lose. I just want to watch these guys play. And you know, that's kind of what we decided. Like, we don't, we don't care about the season anymore. We just want to watch our guys play. And, and that's okay. Well. It- so I got to ask, so you're obviously a lifelong Padres fan, but your wife grew up a Mets fan and is now a Padres fan. And so she's now a fan of both of the most no. troubled franchises yeah. in the game right now. How's she doing? Well, she's like, it's, I'm sorry, Donovan. It's my fault. She's like, honey, I'm sorry. I, you know, I grew up, my dad is a Mets fan. And, you know, she, she last year when we were playing the Mets, she was like, Fuck the Mets, let's go Padres. Like, okay. And then four o'clock comes around, you know, here I'm like, hey, when I want the Mets game, and she'll watch it because her dad still loves the Mets and and you know, she loves them as a childhood team, but like she's a Padres fan through and through. So okay. when they checked Joe's ear, she was like, What are you doing there? Like in like was just like she's all over it. Um oh my god, did you see the guys in the stands that had the huge yeah. ears? Were you watching the game on Sunday? Yeah, yes. I loved that. Uh so classic. So we she apologizes to every Padre fan out there that listening that like she follows the Mets as a child. Um, they did have a couple world series, one in 69 and one in 86. Um, but ever since then, both teams have been kind of crappy. Well, that's not her fault. Yeah. It's at so, least not, it's not her fault alone. Maybe she shares some of the blame, but you know, there's, there's 
a few million Mets fans out there, I'm sure, that <laughs> can share some of it as well. All right, so this is our episode back to the normal. Back um, to the normal. We've got our minor league, our major league minute. Uh, we've got a couple players in the system that won player of the week and won one player of the month. Uh, we've got a John Conniff interview with missions manager, Luke Montz, and then we've got the Mad Friars affiliate rundown. Uh, but before we get to all of that, let's chat about the draft that just happened. Dude. So, you know, I, first thing, this is one of the worst, not worst draft, but this is like, we have such little draft picks because of the signing of Xander Bogarts who rejected Boston's qualifying offer. So that cost us our second and fifth round picks. So right. had... one of those picks was because they went over the CBT uh, yeah. threshold. Yeah. So they lose the picks, but they also lose the bonus money that's attached to it. Um, so as a result, yeah, I'm such a nerd with spreadsheets and all this. I build out a spreadsheet every time to track the, the draft. And I'm always seeing who's signed and how much bonus pool they have left. So the first overall or the first, their first round pick 25th overall has a slot value of $3.165 million. Their whole pool is $5.416 million. That means almost, almost 60% of their whole pool is in that first pick. So they've got to be pretty creative on who they pick and how they distribute the wealth. Um, And as we know, Prowler's been pretty creative in the draft in the past. Yeah. I I really feel that Dylan had, um, the Chicago area high school player was the underslot draft pick. Obviously they haven't signed yet. So we'll have that, you know, information. You guys will know that information by next week. Um, but I really think he was a under, you know, underslot draft pick. So we're probably going to save a little bit of money on that guy. Um, JD Gonzalez, really interesting. The second, the third round pick is a really interesting kind of, um, pick. We're so deep with catches, but you don't, you know, you don't draft with, uh, depth. You know, you don't you don't draft for need. You draft for the best player in at that spot. Once again, I don't know if JD Gonzalez was uh was the best pick for the third round where the Padres were. But this this draft season is one of the weirdest, deepest because uh, of COVID draft season. So the guys that are going, you know, 25, 26, 27, even in the second rounds could have easily been a top round pick um, in any other given year. There's just so much talent um, that. That it's just kind of weird, but that's how Preller. That's how he. How he drafts. He drafts under slot guys, and then he saves the money for a guy that they can get a commitment away from a college, or you know that second or third round guy that they really want that has a big commitment and lots of upside, and that's where the money goes to. Right. So, okay. So Dylan head, he's a center fielder. It sounds like, I mean, he's got top of the grade speed. sounds like he's got good instincts in center field, um, good bat to ball skills. It's, they say that it's a, a hit over power tool right now, but he's got the frame to put on. So it's, it's a development pick. Um, you know, it's somebody that you're going to stash and work on for a few years to see what you're going to get out of the kid. Um, and then you mentioned Jen, uh, Jen Daniel Gonzalez catcher out of Puerto Rico. Um, he's, he still hasn't turned 18. One of the younger guys in the draft. Um, and then Homer Bush jr. Was their fourth round pick. So outfielder son of Homer Bush senior, obviously, but yeah. those of us that were around back in the nineties, remember the name Homer Bush. He was drafted by the Padres in 91. He was on the 98 Yankees. Um, and then, so in the, in the sixth round, they picked second baseman. I'll put air quotes around the second baseman. Jay Bashir is from Duke. I looked up his profile. He's six foot four. 
215 pounds. So he's he's big for a second baseman. That's really the, big for yeah. a second baseman. I mean, that's like Mike Moustakis for a second baseman, kind of. Right. So I was looking at the at the the little write ups I could see, and it sounds like he's a kind of a thumper. He's a he's right. a hitter. And then you just put him wherever his glove can fit. So he can play third base. He can play corner outfield, but really it's the bat plays. Uh, But then looking a little bit deeper. So Bashir's from Duke. We got to ask Graham Pauly about him. Yeah, absolutely. They just played together, but digging a little bit deeper. So we were talking about the money Uh, at the eighth round. They picked Cannon Kemp, who is a right-handed pitcher, a high school pitcher. He's six foot six, 205 pounds already. He's already thrown in the low to mid nineties. So a high school pitcher who's a bit of a project, but you need to pay him a little bit of money to buy him out. He's, he's committed to university of Oklahoma, a big 12 school. So that's a big conference school. It's going to take some money to pry the guy away. And then in the, so today on the third day of the draft, they picked three high school seniors in the 12th, the 13th and the 19th round. Uh, Most notably, Blake Dickerson in the 12th round. He's a consensus top 200 pick. Uh, he's committed to Virginia Tech. Uh, left-handed pitcher, six foot six, 210 pounds. Um, it sounds like the velocity's not there yet, but you know, when you see that frame, that body, and the motion that he has, it sounds like he's got good command. He's, you know, he throws a lot of strikes. So you see a lot of that, but it's gonna take a lot of money to buy that kid out of. So you typically you see at the end of the second day, those seven, eight, nine, ten, you see some college guys, and then they make a couple of splashes. What really surprised me today, though, was all the pitching. Well, all the way from 11 all the way through 19, every single one of them was a pitcher, and most of them were college guys. Well, that's the Angels program, right? <laughs> Wasn't it two years ago? Every draft pick was a pitcher. They pitched, they, they drafted every pitcher. Um, the, the complete draft board was pitchers. Um, that's, that's that's not really AJ's kind of mo, is it? You, I saw you tweet that earlier. Or we were talking about that earlier on a little DM. Yeah, I mean, he's usually going for the up the middle guys. He's going for catchers, shortstops, center fielders, and the guys with the elite tools. And I don't see a whole lot of that in this year's pick. I see a lot of a lot of floor. I see a lot of you know, some people that are that are talented. Maybe a little project here and there. Um, Carson Montgomery is kind of a, a, a under the radar kind of a pick in the in the eleventh round today. He's a fourth year junior out of Florida State, but he just entered the transfer portal. Um, it sounds like this year was an off year for him. He struggled quite a bit. So one of these things where you bring him in, you let uh, Rob Marcello work with him, change up your pitching grip, change up your slider, you know, mix up your, your grip, whatever. And then next thing you know, you got somebody. And so these college pitchers are guys that can move quickly. And we're seeing that with the angels. Now they've got a handful of guys coming up that they just picked them two, three years ago, and they're already making major league contributions. We haven't seen a whole lot of that with the Preller picks they have been traded away before they get to that point. But I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of talent here. Um, just not a lot of splash, but I guess you can't really make much splash when you're missing your second round pick. You're missing your fifth round pick. You don't yeah. get any of those comp round, the, comp the B, what do they call it? Yeah. yeah. The competitive, competitive balance, balance rounds. Um, you know, they're not getting any of that. And we're, we've been kind of spoiled by that. Oh, we've got a, we're picking eighth overall. And then we've got, eight selections in the first hundred and that's just that's not going to be the case for the foreseeable future for good reason yeah yeah absolutely and i i wonder if i and this is very maybe a very ignorant question but i wonder if since the roster has has is so 
set. Like the, the major league roster is set, and a lot of it is set for a very long time. That you know, maybe they do go with those uh, you know high school pitchers, and, and they kind of change their draft philosophy to kind of mix of what we may need or what we may be able to trade later uh, in in surplus uh, to kind of fill holes in the roster for the for the big league club. I mean, that's that's that should be the philosophy of every big league club, right? Yeah. That you've got your minors that are supplementing the major leagues and filling in the the depth and as we've seen this year the the depth trying to fill in behind the front line of starters relievers what have you um it it hasn't been there this year Uh, they haven't been able to step up and and fill those roles and so it's it's been rough watching a bullpen where you've got two maybe three guys that the team can trust and then after that you're just chewing your fingernails down to nubs hoping that they can get some outs uh and it's the first half. I mean, all of this can change. I, Adrian Morahon might get his legs under him and all of a sudden start looking like that dominant reliever that he was for a little while. Uh, you know, Brent Honeywell, there's still a good pitcher in there. He's just got to avoid the middle of the strike zone. You know, you can see that in all these guys. We just need to inject more podcast mojo. Right. I mean, well, Tom, speaking let, of, let Alec Jacob pitch. But real quick before right, you move on. Yeah. Really quick before we move on, we do have Carlos Calazzo coming on in the coming weeks after after the end of the draft. He has a bunch of travel. Uh, so the next couple of weeks, he's going to be coming on. We're going to go much more in depth in the Padres draft, and and we'll have more of the draft kind of stuff uh, coming on in the future. But let's move on to the Major League Minute, and we're going to go right into the podcast mojo. Yes. Congratulations, Alec Jacob. He was called up from San Antonio last Friday. Uh, You can hear our interview with him from January on episode 186. Uh, Alec is a right-handed reliever. He's an extreme sidearm reliever. Doesn't throw a ton of velocity, but he throws some junk and he's got some deception. He throws from a weird uh, arm angle. And so the ball does some crazy things coming out of his hand. Yeah, and that's what he's going to have to live on. And, and it's funny because we were over the weekend after we got called up, we're like, hey, I'm not going to pitch the first game. Oh, that second game is a little close. Uh, the third game, ah, well, maybe not. Maybe they just called him up just to kind of get his feet wet. Maybe, you know, there wasn't a matchup. Obviously, there wasn't a matchup or a, a spot where, you know, we need wins. We need the best guy out there. Right. For, to, to, we need the W more than we need to get Alex Jacobs' feet wet. Um, So I was hoping if we had a couple runs there that, uh, that they would give him an inning or something, maybe one out, you know, just something, but it wasn't to be. No, yeah. I that series was way too important. And, yeah. and they were pointing out on the broadcast that the the, the tiebreaker may come into play yeah. when it comes to the end of the season. And we're seeing who gets into the wild card and who doesn't. It, you could be where the Padres and the Mets have the same record and you start looking at these tiebreakers. And I think the first one is head to head. And so by winning this season, this series, the Padres have that tiebreaker over the Mets, should it come to that. So they, on top of just, they need to win every game they can. You yeah. want to go into the break feeling good about yourself. Uh, but Alec, so looking at what he does well, he hardly walks anybody and the ball does not leave the park off of him. His home run to fly ball ratio is only 4.8% this year in double a. Um, so granted it's double a, it's not major league pitching, but still there's something about the motion of his pitches that he's an extreme ground ball artist. And when they put the ball in the air, it's a pop fly. It's not going over the fence. You know, and there are a couple of guys in the major leagues, and we've talked about him having room on on a roster from the major league, uh, for the major league team. And not everyone in there's a ton of guys that throw 96, 97. A lot of those guys can throw 96, 97. And there's a handful of them that 
get by with movement, deception, and just guile. And I think he's one of those guys. And I, there's no other reason why to bring him up other than to just give him a shot. You know what I mean? Um, right. We'll see. We'll see at the end of the All Star break once we get back if there's any roster moves. Are you know if they keep them on there till someone else gets healthy and they give them a shot, you know. Um, but once again, podcast mojo with Tom Cosgrove and Alec Jacob coming up. Yeah, he could be an up and down guy. I kind of feel like that yeah. might be his spot that when they need an extra body, they'll bring him up, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I mean, so yeah, he throws 88, maybe he'll touch 90 on a hot day. But then you've got Luis Garcia goes out there and he's pumping 98. He can touch a hundred, he's got that filthy wipeout slider, and he's been getting rocked. Yeah. So it's not just about having velocity and stuff. It's about being able to command it, avoiding walks, avoiding the big hit, all of that stuff. Yeah. Out of the center of the zone. Yep. All right. So take us to our next uh, podcast. Well, dude, mojo so talking about here. the podcast. Mojo. <laughs> so I went to the game on Saturday. We uh, every every year, almost every year, the Michael, the prices come down from L.A. Uh, Liddy knew them. And when she was up in L.A. in the movie business and they're big Mets fans in. Michael Price and his son Will's come down and we always go to a game. They were at the game that um Big Sexy hit the home run. Uh you know, which is which essentially preceded the, you know, the the Ron Fowler. God, could you imagine real quick? Could you imagine what Ron Fowler would be like with this season? Would you could you imagine what he would be saying? on Ben and Woods or on any radio station if you had a chance to talk you about know, the team? For a minute there, like, what was it, a week and a half ago when we were just all down in the dumps and it was after a game and Sam Levitt went on 97.3 after the game was over and him and I think it was Matt Scraby, they did like three hours of, it was post game and then just open mic, everybody call us and just vent. <laughs> and it was such a, like a cathartic kind of experience listening to everybody's shared collective frustration. Yeah. And that was... I called in and I asked, when are we going to hear from ownership or management? Seidler, Preller, somebody's got to get out there and say, when are they going to say something? Because that was right after the Mets guy yeah. uh, came in and said, I believe that we're going to keep Billy Epler through the end of the season. We're going to keep Buck Walter through the end of the season, giving them a vote of confidence. Like, and, and it's like, we haven't heard that from anybody. Is Bob Melvin going to make it through the end of the year? Is AJ Preller going to make it through the end of the year? And now we've heard from those guys. I don't know that we have any more, you know, idea of, of who's staying and who's not staying, but you know, it was, well, you, anyway. you saw, you, you saw the interview with, with Peter Seidler and he gave a resounding uh, endorsement for AJ Preller. Um, it sounded like they had to really kind of nitpick to find that he didn't give a hundred percent endorsement of Bob Melvin, but dude, it's not, once again, it's not their fault. Mm -hmm. You can complain it. You can, you know, you can listen to guys like Corey Decker, who said, I was on that team in 2015 and everyone hated each other. Everyone was was audibly rooting against everyone on that squad. And I don't know what's going on with this team, but maybe it's something like that. I, I don't know if that's the case, but it's the players. Like you can't, you they have to perform. But let's get, we got off track. I want to talk about the podcast mojo. I went to the game on Saturday and my our boy, Matthew Batten, got his first major league home run. I didn't think about it uh, until after he hit it out. And I'm like, God, why didn't I film that? Because where we sat was right behind the dish. We were on the concourse where those folded chairs are directly behind uh, the dish. And I had just a perfect view of the ball going out of the ballpark. And I was just like, that's my ball. 
uh, yeah. His um, first time to the plate of the season. Yeah, it just yeah. got called up. Yeah. Nobody was expecting anything. I, I love the no expectations. Maybe that's been part of the problem. It's too high expectations. So he also made several plays in the, in the field. The, uh, you know, the, the throw down to second was a nice tag to get the runner out. And then later on in the game, he had the, uh, that little soft line drive that he had to dive and grab for two really nice plays. Essentially the game winning or the game deciding uh, home run in the second freaking inning. Um, have a game, Matthew Batten, you know? Yeah. I think we're going to be seeing some more of him uh, because they the designated uh, Nelson Cruz for assignment today. They, they released him. Um, and so now you've got somebody that is a very good base runner. He's, he's pretty quick, but he's very smart. He knows how to read a pitcher. He knows how to read a situation. So he understands when to take that extra bag. And he's, he's got that instinct. Um, and he can play anywhere around the infield. He's got experience at all four infield spots and a little bit of left field. So I'd like to think, so Bogart's just had that wrist injection, uh, cortisone injection in his left wrist, second one this season. Um, so he's going to take some time through the break to, to recover from that Manny. I'm certain Manny's been fighting through something, although he's looking like he's back. I'd like to see both of those guys get a DH game once a week, you know, a half right. day off once a week. And then with Batten and Kim and Cronenworth, their flexibility, you can move guys around and you've yeah. got Odor. So you've got guys that you can move around now uh, and, and fill all the spots and not miss a beat, at least on defense. Right. Absolutely. And that's going to be important to keep those guys, not only to get them healthy, uh, but to kind of give them a day off. And when, when the, the kind of first half of the season the Padres had was just so bad, you can just feel everyone was just grinding. Everyone was just, you know, you making sawdust out of the bat at the plate, just trying too hard. And I think, right, with that flexibility, you can give those guys a day off and let them, you know, let them hit and get out their feet and still kind of, you know, mend themselves um, throughout the rest of the season. Well, we've got the all-star game starting up right now. And so you got Juan Soto and Josh Hader out there, but everybody else, they get to go home and take a few days yeah. and have some R and R go sit by the pool, go, you know, get their massage, put in their work and relax and just kind of, Woo-saw. Maybe do some meditation. Um, maybe maybe go like uh, Aaron Rodgers did and go find a, a, a hut somewhere and just right. isolate yourself for a couple of days. <laughs> so hopefully everybody's coming back with a whole new zen and this great yeah. vibe that's gonna that's gonna take over for the second half. By refocusing. That's right. All, right. All right. So let's move on to our next note of MILB news. Tirso Ornelas was named Texas League Player of the Month for June. The former missions outfielder, former missions outfielder, because now he's a uh, El Paso Chihuahua, has been named Texas League Player of the Month for the month of June. This was announced by Minor League Baseball on Thursday. For Ornelas, this marks his first career monthly award. He was previously named Texas League Player of the Week for the week of June 12th through 18th. In 21 games for the missions, Ornelas led the Texas League in batting average, total bases with 59, RBI with 26, and on base percentage at 434, he batted 378 in the month. Um, he finished the month second in the league with 34 hits and second in the league with a 556 slugging percentage. His six homers were good for fifth most in the Texas League. During the month of June, Ornelas had 11 multi-hit games and had hitting streaks of six and nine games along the way. Ornelas was promoted to AAA El Paso on June 28th and very well-deserved. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, don't look at the first two weeks, these last two weeks of him in AAA. Let him get his feet wet, come back from the All-Star break, and then really see, you know, really see if he can put it together for a strong full season. You know, we I talked to John Conniff about this, and, and we were like – he, he kind of felt maybe it might have been a little premature. We need to find out if he's going to be put on the 40-man next season. We need to find out what we got. So, you know, I think it's a, more of a need of surely deserved, but certainly a need of, like, what do we got? Do we, you know, is he going to get picked up on the the, the Rule 5 uh, minor league draft next year? Are we, you know, what's going to happen? Because we got to put him on the 40-man or it's it's bye-bye to yourself. Right. So this is a weird week right now because not only does the major league team have their all-star break, but all the minor league teams are off right now. Uh, Monday through Thursday, they have off and then everybody starts a series on Friday. It's, it's weird. They've got a short series and then a long series. Um, I, I know the Chihuahuas, I've got their schedule up in front of me. They've got Mondays off like they usually do, but I think the storm have like 11 or 12 days straight that they're playing, which oh. is unusual. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe they can take this, uh, this little week off and you let everybody get a little bit, uh, relaxed, Absolutely. but yeah, no, we need to see what we got from Ornelas. He's going to be due to be a, a minor league free agent soon. I yeah. think he's got one more year with the Padres before that, that hits. Um, but you know, it's, you gotta, you gotta make hay at some point. Yeah. All right. So we got Marcus Castagnon. Yeah. More podcast mojo. He's been named Midwest league player of the week. Um, the right-handed batter helped lead the high affiliate of the standing Padres to a six and one record from three uh, July 3rd to July 9th. Over those seven games, Castagnon posted a 464 batting average as he went 13 for 28. He also drew four walks and was hit by a pitch, elevating his on-base percentage to 531. With six doubles and three home runs, his slugging percentage was 1,000. And thus he had a 1.531 on-base plus slugging. The team's primary third baseman scored eight runs while driving in 13 for the week. Castagnon led the Midwest League in hits, extra bases, total bases, doubles, runs, and RBIs. He also ranked second in homers and slugging, third in average and OPS, and fourth in OBP. And number one on podcasts. Bam. And then later on, in, so this, this week, I added a fourth strike to Fort Wayne because he had some heroics in the game on Sunday. They had they had a crazy week down in Fort Wayne. Yeah. So then the other player of the week in the organization was Ethan Salas, already earning some hardware. He was named player of the week uh, in the California League. Um, he hit 368 with four home runs, 10 RBIs, two stolen bases, and seven runs scored across five games. He reached base in 12 of his 24 plate appearances for a line of 368, 501.105 slugging, yeah. For a 1.605 OPS. That's crazy. And yeah. it was, you know, it's funny. He showed up and those first couple of games, it was hit, walk, hit, walk. And then he kind of cooled off for a week or two. And then all of a sudden, this little breakout. I don't just. know if it just has something to do with Visalia that they were playing at Visalia. I don't know what their pitching staff is like. I don't know, you know, a whole lot right. about that team. Right. Uh, but I'd like to think that Salas is just kind of finally feeling himself and like, okay, yeah, I belong. Watch what I can do. Well, absolutely. And and those home runs, dude, you guys, they were over the center field wall. Like one of the home runs was opposite left, left center gap. Another home run was over the 400 foot wall in center. Like the kid, these weren't cheapies pulled down the line, hitting 375. These were absolute tanks. 
No, yeah, he's spraying it all over, all over the yeah. place. Uh, we don't have access to the. They've got the the. I want to say Statcast. The I think right. it's Hawkeye. Uh, the equipment at all of these minor league ballparks, so they can see what the batted ball velocities are. I'm curious to see once these articles start coming out, once they have some data, to see just what he's doing at age 17 and how that compares to you know what. I mean, there's not like there's a whole lot to compare, but yeah. how many teenagers have that kind of pop and that kind of you know, plate discipline and spraying the ball and all this kind of stuff. Well, I know when I listen to some of the broadcasts that they do have, they do have, you know, velocity, exit velocities and distance. So the broadcasters have it. Oh yeah. I know oh, the guys well. like fan graphs and, and, and uh, like Carlos Colazo, baseball America, yeah. uh, you know, all these, these uh, prospect writers, they have access to that information. It's just not publicly published. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's get on with uh, our Mad Friars with the, with the Mad Friars interview with San Antonio manager Luke Montz. So Luke Montz is in his first year with the San Diego Padres organization after replacing longtime San Antonio missions manager Philip Welly Wellman, who moved up to AAA El Paso. A native of Lafayette, Louisiana, Montz played college baseball at Hill College in Hillsboro, Texas, not Hillsboro. Oregon, uh, a junior college program that has 30 players drafted. He played professionally for 13 years as a catcher, earning two cups of coffee with the Nationals and Oakland A's before retiring in 2015. We got some uh, some little insider information from uh, John Conniff. Apparently, Luke Montz is a is a chatty Cathy. He loves to talk. He's got that that Louisiana drawl, the accent, and he just he just loves to sit there and, and chew the fat with you. Well, and so you're going to see in some of these answers, they're very long, and I love it. They talk more. Like, we want more information is better. So, <clears throat> first question was, congratulations on winning the Texas League South in the first half. No offense, but this was not a prospect-laden double-A team coming into the season. Why was this team able to win? Luke Montz, absolutely, you said it perfectly. I had an idea of what we were getting in, uh, getting into coming out of spring training. This is my first year managing in the organization, and the kind of challenging thing for me was that I spent nearly all my time in the big league camp. So I didn't meet half these guys until I walked into this locker room. So I had to work on building relationships quickly and getting to know these guys as fast as possible. As you talked about, it was not a really heavy prospect team to start the season. We had a lot of minor league free agents that are good ball players with a lot of experience in AAA and the major leagues. Uh, the biggest thing we have talked about from the very start, first day, and what has gotten me to where I am in my career, I wouldn't say I like talking about my career that much, is that you have to be where your feet are. You aren't the big leaguer or AAA. You aren't in the big leagues or AAA, and you can be pissed off, but you're here. We had a lot of guys on the pitching staff that was uh, that was their next step, but our offense was different. We had players with major league service time and AAA experience. When they got the news they were coming to AA, there were a lot of negative thoughts of, why am I coming here? It took some challenging talks with a few of them that you have to perform here if you want to go where you believe you should be. That's very good. We had, uh, we can, we can get drubbed drops. We, we, we can get drubbed, drop six games, embarrass ourselves and get after it. It was about three weeks into the season before the message started to resonate. This club lost seven games in a row and the thing started to turn around. We worked consistently pitchers kept up, uh, kept us where we need to be along all along. Sorry. And then the offense started to put things together. So I just pulled up his uh, his uh, baseball reference page. So Luke Montz, he played about, what, 23 games in the majors. Yeah. He made it to the majors in 2008 at age 24. And then 
he spent the next three years toiling in the minors, actually the next five years before finally coming back up in 2013. So if there's anybody that can speak to that, okay, you had a cup of coffee, you, you made it. Um, and then now you're back here in double a, don't, don't hang your head, right. you know, look for that next opportunity. So he can really speak to that out of his own experience. And as you can see, guys, that was one answer. <laughs> I, I put together a couple more answers here. So, um, yeah. All right. So, well, I'll take the next one. Okay. So right. Tirso Ornella struggled in April and May, as I'm sure that you are well aware. And then he had the next month of it, the best month of his career in June. What turned it around for him? He's had some hot stretches before, but do you believe this time he's made changes that he can keep going forward? Mott says the big thing with Tirso is not his on-field performance, but showing up to play at the park and being ready mentally and physically to perform. He's only 23 years old. And I'm not saying he was, uh, one of those disappointed guys, but he finished last season in AAA. So many of those young guys don't know what is next. And when you finish your season there, you think you'll have a chance to go back there next year. We saw a little of that to start the season where he was kind of just going through the motions. Our conversation with him two or three weeks into the season changed for him doing it. Pat, Pat O'Sullivan, the missions hitting coach, and I called him into the office and he owned up to everything he wasn't doing. His mind wasn't in the right spot to do everything that he needed to be doing. We pointed out that you're 23, big guy, and only 23. You have a long future ahead of you and can't worry about what some of the minor league free agent guys that might be a little older are doing. We understand that he might be disappointed, but he needed to take care of himself. When he faced this kind of mistake of not doing everything he was supposed to be doing, that was the start of what you see now on the field. The ability is there. Tierso has bat-to-ball skills, his walk-to-strikeout ratio is great, and he has mad power. If his mind is in the right spot and Tierso does what he needs to do, he will be as good as he wants. There's always work in the outfield, at the plate, with his arm, as his speed, and now he's always doing work. That is wonderful to hear. And yeah. and it makes a lot of sense. And and it, the psychology of, of being a minor leaguer has got to be a tough thing to manage. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, with Terso, he's been in the system for going on almost six years now and um, hasn't really put it together. Actually, really hasn't put it together till after this last month. And um, but you can get. You know, he made it at the triple A and you can kind of go like, all right, I'm on my way. You know, I can probably put some numbers up in the Pacific Coast League. All these guys know what it's like to play, you know, or at least see what's happening in the Pacific Coast League where your numbers can be a little elevated um, and you can show us a little bit. But um, I'm just glad to get him up there. I, we've followed him since he was 16 years old at the, you know, Don Welke. Um, just excited to see what's going to happen here in triple A. As a former catcher, I'm curious to see how you see Jackson Wolf. I saw him last year in Fort Wayne and thought a lot of hitters had trouble finding the ball, but I thought he might have more trouble at this level because double A hitters are better at finding release points. And he did struggle in his first few starts this year. He has been much better. What have you seen months? He is super competitive. He has a funky delivery with that little lean and rock as a six foot seven lefty. And it does not care who was in the batter's box. One cool thing you see with him is that he's locked in when you watch him pitch it is special and nothing can throw him off. He's like many of these guys we have been talking about. He's always working on getting better, no matter how good the most recent results may have been with Jackson. It's not about what is getting guys out in double a, but will this get me to the big leagues and will it stick? He loves talking about controlling the running game, which appears to me, which appeals to me. He wants to make the pitches nastier and he's always working on that. I love where his mind is. 
off the field, he is a super relaxed guy. Give him a soccer ball and let him run around, and he's happy. <laughs> <laughs> I love he, that. He is the wolf. Get Let the, the kids be kids. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, uh, Mad Friars asks, we've talked with Alec Jacob a few times and he throws in the mid eighties with an incredible amount of horizontal movement. How do you think that would play in the big leagues? And we're about to find out. Mont says, we're always looking for the next pitch to add or how to improve what you have. Alec gets guys out with horizontal movement. He doesn't have incredible velocity or that much sink. He sweeps it and can come in on your hands to get you out. The cool thing about Alec is he's discovering now how he needs to pitch compared to last year when he struggled some in AAA. He joined us late, and we can see the turnaround that he's having this year, and he's been pitching very well. When I talk to the opposing guys when I'm coaching there in games, they all say they don't want to face him again. They can't see the ball. It's starting behind their right hip for right-handers, and he's in the left-hander's batter's box. He's another guy that isn't sitting on his numbers and is constantly working. He has excellent command and the ability to repeat his mechanics. Nothing is overpowering, but he keeps guys off balance and doesn't walk anyone. Hell yeah. And he's in the All big right. leagues. Yeah. So thank you, Mad Friars, for uh, that fantastic interview. Check yeah. them out. Of course, every every week we give them the plug. But if you're not subscribing to Mad Friars, you are missing out. But we also want you guys to subscribe to us. Go to Apple. Uh, give us a review. We stink. We, we, uh, we're we great. Whatever. Just give us a subscribe. Give us a like. We're also on Spotify. I would. I love looking at spot our list on Spotify because uh, you can just scroll right down to any of the interviews that we've done or any of the episodes real quick so you can get a month a two months six months into the into our podcast to go back in old episodes it's really fun um so you guys do that uh meanwhile let's get back to it at the storm strike one wednesday for the first time in his brief career ethan Salas homeward in back-to-back games it was also his third home run in a week and helped raise his ops to 787 Playing in his third game back after missing seven weeks, right fielder Tyler Robertson, another friend of the podcast, has picked up where he left off as one of the Storm's most clutch players. Robertson scored three runs and had two hits and stole a base. Since returning from the injured list, Robertson has gone four for 14 with two RBIs, two stolen bags to push his total to 14 and 25 to 14 and 25 games. Charlize Aquino also homeward, and it was his first of the season. You know, Tyler Robertson seems like he's just consistent. Like when he was playing before, he was just every week he was performing. Okay, so strike two. On Thursday, while it wasn't Henry Baez's finest work in a Storm uniform, the variety had plenty of margin of error to work with and still managed to strike out seven batters in six innings to collect his fourth win of the season. The 20-year-old Baez is 4-2 with a 4.22 ERA and has struck out 64 batters in 59 and two-thirds innings in 2023. As with any prospect, it's important to remember the slumps don't make one a bust and the hot streaks don't make one ready for the bright lights of Petco Park, but that doesn't mean we won't enjoy it. <laughs> after after a 190-311-321 slash line of 84 at-bats in June, Ethan Salas has flipped the script along with the calendar page, producing a 375-474-1.188 line in his first 16 at-bats of July. <laughs> With two home runs Thursday, the Lake Elsinore backstop has hit four round trippers in three games and raised his OPS for the season to 855. Another young position player prospect to keep an eye on is Rosman Verdugo, whose three hit outing tonight included a pair of doubles. The 18-year-old infielder has been on fire to begin July, posting a 375, 474, 750 slash line in 16 at-bats to begin the month, with four of his six hits going for extra bases, including three doubles and a home run. 
Yeah, it's really good. I, I I was, you know, that's my guy since we we picked him up, since we, you know, since we signed him. Um, and he's really putting it together now. And he's really exciting. I want to get up there to Lake Elsinore and talk to him. Uh, they have someone in the front office that will do the interpreting. So, and then coming into the season, I hope to get up there and talk to Rossman. Uh, we plan on going up there this weekend and and talking to some guys. We're not quite sure who yet, but we're looking at Henry Williams. Um, we try to get Ethan Salas, but you know the Uber prospect is young, and they do not want to get him. Uh, you know, they just want to keep control over that, and that's understandable. Oh yeah, no, let let him just focus on yeah. playing baseball and hanging with the team, and you know, doing the stuff that they need him to do to check all yeah. the boxes. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, but, I, you let the media stuff and everybody in the world is giving them media requests. I'm sure to talk right, to him. Right. Everybody. And and when nobody's getting to talk to him, us not getting to talk to him isn't just a big deal. <laughs> right. But let's move on to strike three Sunday. Victor Duarte kept it a four run first inning with a two run double. And then he, then the club added three more in the second as 13 of the first 15 storm hitters reached base safely. Rossman Verdugo had his second three hit game of the series and has now reached base 11 of his 12 uh, 11 of his last 12 games thank you the 18 year old infielder pushes ops up to 690 the highest it's been since early may after striking out well over a third of the time through the first two months of the season he's cut that rate to below 25 percent in the last seven weeks tyler robertson added three more hits to his ledger including a second homer in as many games the 23 year old outfielder is 10 for 29 in six games since coming off the il from his hamstring strain the 14th rounder's performance has been one of the several pleasant surprises in the 2022 draft class so far. So what the, you know, what Tyler Robertson's doing right now kind of reminds me of what we saw Jacob Marcy doing last year. Yeah. So I wonder if we're going to see a little bit more of Tyler Robertson next <clears throat> spring working with the big league camp yeah. um, and then taking the same kind of step that Jacob Marcy's taken so far. So speaking of Jacob Marcy, let's move on to Fort Wayne. Uh, strike one on Wednesday, recently promoted lefty Austin Krob, allowed, who allowed just one run over five innings uh, despite allowing eight hits. He walked one and struck out four. After posting a 2.34 ERA over 10 starts Lake Elsinore, Krob has yet to get a 1-2-3 inning in 10 frames at high A, though he's done an excellent job of pitching out of danger. Center fielder Jacob Marcy reached more times and has a 409 OBP for the month and a 395 mark overall. Marcy also stole his team leading 28th base of the season, which is good for second in the Midwest League. Lucas Dunn blasted a key two run triple to extend the tin caps lead to five. Dunn is five for eight in the first two games of the series and has three extra base hits in his last three games. Yeah, you know, we haven't talked about Lucas Dunn a whole lot this yeah. year. He was a regular mention of us last year. He was. Uh, relievers Jose Geraldo, Aaron Holiday, and Adam Smith all posted scoreless outings out of the bullpen. Lots of good that. pitching, both in regular A and high A right now. Yeah, absolutely. So strike through, uh, strike through, strike two. Thursday center fielder Jacob Marcy launched a three-run homer in the second inning, and starting pitcher Adam Mazur spun six quality in Innings, sending first place Fort Wayne to its fifth consecutive win. The 53rd pick, 53rd overall pick in the 2022 draft lowered his season ERA to 2.02. He is on the cusp of breaking the two ERA, which is second lowest in the Midwest League among pitchers who have thrown at least 45 innings this season. Major six strong frames were backed up out of the bullpen by Ethan Rousen, who tossed three perfect innings to record a nine out save. Thursday's game lasted an hour and 53 minutes. 
under two hours, marking the shortest nine-inning game Fort Wayne has played since their pitch timer was introduced last season. Somewhere, Randy Jones and Jim Cott are smiling. <laughs> okay, so strike three. On Saturday, Robbie Snelling made his second start and his first in front of the home home crowd in Fort Wayne. And the, uh, the second first was close to the first, but better. In his high-A debut last week, he surrendered two runs in the first, but then not for the next four innings. In his latest start, the Reno, Nevada native scattered five hits over five and two-thirds innings and surrendered one earned run. He finished the night with five strikeouts and two walks. The Padres have him on a pretty tight pitch count. He threw 88 pitches in his first start and his top 90 only once. Despite the excellent outing, uh, the Tin Caps lost and ended their streak of wins at six. They've been hot, though. Yeah, Marcos Castagnon is still in Fuego. He added two more hits and has a 370, 469, 889 slash line for July. The Santa Barbara native and friend of the podcast has eight extra base hits with and three more of those are home runs. Jacob Marcy is third in the league with a 391 on base percentage and is second with 28 stolen bases. However, he opened the year with the slugging percentage of just 250 in April. The organization has worked with him to drive the ball more and he's improved every month with the 413 slugging percentage in May and 433 in June. With the double Saturday, he's at 434 this month. Maybe he'll slug 435 in August. <laughs> okay, so the, the second verse was close to the first was... First, first, second, first, same as first. I'm yeah. Henry the Henry Eighth. The eighth yeah. Okay, so going back to you know, we skipped last week's episode. Robbie Snelling's first debut in 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 uh, in Fort Wayne High A. The first inning was disastrous. Double, double. Like he gave up. He gave up two runs, and you know you're going, okay, well we got our work cut out for us. Yeah, I saw guys on Twitter going, man, he's getting beat up right now. Yeah, I I watched him going, okay, here we go. Let's see what we got. After that, nothing, nothing. Didn't allow, he, I think he allowed two more hits the the next five more innings, just dominant. Like that's so hard to do. Have that short memory like that. God, you know, and because you just let, you let talent take over. And, And that's what I love about this kid is, is like that bulldog, that football mentality is like, all right, he punched me in the nose. Here it comes back. I'm coming back. Love it. All right, so I so I added a a strike four because of this game, uh, Marcus Castagnon just he sealed the player of the week with this game. But first, it's Victor Lizarraga turned into another strong starting as he continues to improve as the season goes on. For the second time in a week, the 19 year old righty allowed two runs over six innings. This time on a season low two hits. Kids in fuego. While he's still not putting up stellar peripherals, he's posted a 28 to 11 strikeout to walk ratio over his last 36 and two thirds innings. Opponents have just 30 hits against him in that span as he relies on his fastball location and a very good changeup. The San Diego native is on track for about 120 innings of work this year as he's the youngest pitcher in high A ball. But the night belonged to Marcos Castagnon. The UC Santa Barbara product blasted a walk-off single in right center field gap in the bottom of the 11th uh, Sunday, capping a wild comeback win. Uh, Before the extra inning heroics, he tied the game with a two-run homer in the eighth inning, dude. Two-run homer. He finished the game four for six with three RBIs and the two-run homer. Here's the audio of the game-tying homer. That's launched! Deep left field, and it is way gone! Marcos Castagnon equalizes in the eighth. 
He has become Captain Clutch. No doubt about this one. A hanger lift. Waist high, inner half, and Castagnon just deposited it right through the wind. All right, so there you go. Uh, what an exciting moment. And I got to say, the folks in Fort Wayne have been packing that house. Yeah. They had the, the homestand over the 4th of July weekend. And those games, the game on the field was off the chain. Yeah. And having a doing it in front of a packed house made it just a whole scene there. So Fort Wayne was the place to be last weekend. All right, so moving on to San Antonio. Uh, strike one on Thursday. The Missions utilized three home runs on Thursday and scored four runs in the 10th win- inning to win it in extras. <laughs> Cole Cummings hit a pinch hit ninth inning home run to tie the game. The Missions went ahead for good thanks to Juan Fernandez, whose second hit of the game drove in the winning run of the 10th inning. The 24-year-old Fernandez is slashing 308, 382, 409 in 208 at-bats for San Antonio in 2023, seeing time at catcher, DH, and the infield corners, as well as two mop-up innings on the mound. You know, Juan Fernandez, he's somebody to keep your eye on for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, Daniel Johnson added an exclamation point to the victory with a three-run homer in the 10th. Now, Daniel Johnson, he might be one of these guys that uh, – that Montz was talking about. Yeah. He made it to the majors with Cleveland a couple of years ago. And now, you know, to get sent back to double a, that's gotta be a, a humbling experience, but yeah. he's started to turn it around. Um, and then Jared Kolar recorded a quality start while lasting six innings. The right-hander struck out just one batter while allowing two runs on six hits. The 24 year old Kolar has followed up a sublime start to the season in Fort Wayne with two solid starts in his double a debut. In 10 and two-thirds innings, the Rutgers product has struck out seven while walking three and posting a 3.38 ERA. Sounds like he pitches to contact a whole lot and, you know, getting some good defense behind him. Absolutely. You know, another guy that we didn't talk about too much that I think uh, has got a good shot of becoming someone – Cole Cummings. Like They brought him up to to San Antonio earlier in the season and – he wasn't doing that well. You know, I was like, okay, I, I don't, maybe I don't, I don't, you know, we never know why organizations do what they do. Um, he's raking, he is raking in double a and he's holding his own there. So we're really excited for that, but let me take you to strike. Two. Is he a, is he a UCSD guy? Oh, Santa no, Barbara. He's Santa Barbara. He's he, uh, he played with Marcus. That's right. Marcos. All right. You ready? Go for it. The wolf is carnivore incarnate. And he's as cunning as he is ferocious. Once he's had a taste of flesh, then nothing else will do. Angela Carter, the company of wolves. Jackson Wolf having to use his cunning to get out of the first inning Friday. He was carnivore incarnate for the next six innings. Wolf tied his career high with 11 strikeouts across seven innings of work on Friday. The Southpaw allowed one earned run on four hits while walking one batter. Wolf now leads the Texas League with 98 strikeouts and his whip a point of one is tops in the circuit as well. The former West Virginia hurler has hit his stride since the end of May. Since his start on May 26, Wolf has thrown at least five innings in all of his starts and pitched to a 2.49 ERA over 47 innings. In that span, he's walked 11 batters while punching out 49. Carnivore incarnate indeed. Yeah, he's fun to watch on the mound. 
he's his his pre-pitch motion he's got this little rocking of his body that he does and it's it's not quite like what clevenger would do but he gets this kind of rhythm going before he gets his and then his delivery he's just like elbows and knees and all these pointy things coming at you and then here comes the ball slinging out from over by first base uh he's such a fun guy to watch yeah and he's so intense (laughs) so uh, so uh, if you guys follow me on on twitter and instagram like i i uh i was watching the game i was watching the game last last week and he threw a pitch and yeah it might have been squeezed probably was squeezed it was a good pitch and you see him walk back facing the center field he's going you know, you see F word, F word. And I'm like, well, dude, it was just like, you probably, maybe he's getting squeezed. Like, I, like guys intense. And, you know, AJ Preller talked to him about him when he was talking about the draft. Um, you know, he's doing, he's doing everything uh, to get himself noticed, to get himself moved up. And I would not be surprised if we, I wouldn't be surprised really if, if we saw maybe a spot start, if something really bad happened and we needed a spot starter on the fly. I wouldn't be surprised to see him come up and get that opportunity because they have been pulling from double A with Alex Jacob. You know, the way that it sits right now, if it was him or Ryan Weathers and they're both lined up on the same day, I would rather th- see them pull Jackson up. Yeah. Just to give him a shot. Now we're going to talk about Ryan here in a minute as we, we continue, but you know, let's see what the major leaguers can do with that. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Cer- certainly when you get into the Pacific coast league that we know that things can go all sideways. But then again, you know, it may not. Right, for sure. Okay, so strike three on Saturday. Catcher Brandon Valenzuela, age 22, continues his strong season after being recently promoted to the missions. After posting an 828 OPS in 153 plate appearances with the 10 caps, he's hitting 292 with a 452 on base percentage with San Antonio while playing well at the deepest position in the Padres organization. A big reason for his success is some tweaking of his swing mechanics and the hip, the health of his hip. Ripken Reyes, age 26, is not slowing down. He reached base three times and continues to sit atop the Texas League in on-base percentage at 434. On the season, he has an 828 OPS and is on base for career highs, on pace for career highs and extra base hits, and is equal to his career best in stolen bases with 15 and 21 attempts. Kevin Copps, age 26, is posting better strikeout numbers this season and his walk rate has decreased by nearly 20 percent however he's been unlucky with his batting average on balls in play at 402 this season compared to 290 in 2022 402 nobody keeps a 402 babbit that's that is <laughs> abhorrently high um still his era is down to 3.66 from 4.14 earlier this season and he has 55 strikeouts against 20 walks in four po- 41 and a third innings so kevin cops baby steps uh yeah. but you know he's he's one of those guys everybody was watching last year to make the quick rise um you know still still keeping an eye on him yeah absolutely so moving on to el paso Wednesday, a pitcher's duel ended when Brett Sullivan doubled in Taylor Callway to send the Chihuahuas fans home happy for the fifth walk-off win of the year. Sullivan, the only El Paso player to have a multi-hit game, has now reached base safely in seven straight games since being demoted May 30th. He is hitting 322-402-533. Jay Groom allowed only one run in six innings. Groom has allowed only four earned runs in 12 innings over his last two starts. It was just the second time all season that Groom has pitched at least five innings and allowed less than two earned runs. Very encouraging. Eggy Rosario hit his first homer of the year as he continues to rehab his, his rehab assignment in AAA. 
Rosario was sidelined since before spring training, so he'll be playing in what is akin to his first weeks of March. So he's essentially playing spring training right now. Uh, in 10 games with a pass, Rosario is hitting 231, 302, 359. Right. Did I, did I, do I remember correctly that they optioned him? I think they optioned him. But I don't think he's on a rehab assignment anymore. Oh. He might still oh. be on rehab. I'm not sure. I need to look into that. Um, anyway, strike two on Thursday. Ryan Weathers allowed only one run in six innings and tied his career high by striking out 10 batters. Weathers has struck out 20 batters in 12 innings over his last two home starts. Thursday was the second time in four starts he's hit double-digit strikeouts and given up just one earned run in six innings. In the other two outings, however, he's been shelled for 11 runs over nine combined innings, including a six-walk game in his first appearance. In both both of his quality starts, he used his sweeper more than his changeup. So I find that pitch mix change a little interesting. Yeah. Um, it it kind of seems like with him, he's either he either has it or he doesn't, mm-hmm. and there isn't a whole lot of gray area. So it's kind of hard to 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 call that up and rely on that with a playoff birth you know on 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 edge with every game yeah yeah absolutely and let let him continue to to find that pitch mix of what's working because you saw if he doesn't throw strikes with the changeup, they're going to sit on the fastball and, and they're just going to rope it and his fastball doesn't have a lot of cut doesn't have a lot of movement and it's straight and if it's right down the middle those I, those guys are going to capitalize so i like it this, this is the second series in a row that we've talked about where it's about the pitch mix it's about finding what combination because the stuff is there. Like the velocity is there straight as straight as it is. Um, it's there. It's just finding a way to mix in the other pitches to kind of work, uh, work in his favor, much like we've seen with Matt Waldron, Matt Waldron, you know, back in high A and even early double A was throwing 80% knuckleballs, you know, being able to pitch deep into games, but you know, a- after a while they just sit on it or they, they kind of know what's coming. Uh, you throw in that 93 mile an hour fastball from him, then the then the then that knuckleball becomes you know that third breaking ball, you know the third off speed pitch, and he has a decent slider. So it's about pitch mix and finding that kind of combination of, of what to throw, when to throw it uh, that creates success. Really, right, right. I, I mean, there, so there are some smart people out there on Padres Twitter that have an idea of you know talking about about this kind of thing. And so after that last start where Weathers got shelled in the, in the bigs, I wasn't seeing, I mean, yeah, there are the people out there saying he's, he's no good launch him into the sun, but there were a lot of people out there that were saying, you know, it's, it's a matter of finding the right pitches to work for him. Maybe rather than throwing a four seamer, that's flat, find a cutter, find a sinker, find, you know, find something else rather than just serving a four seamer in the middle of the plate. And And it, it'll come. It's just, it just takes time sometimes. Yeah. And granted that last start with him, I think it was against the, uh, the Rays where they were hitting balls hard out of the zone. Like he was throwing it high in the zone and they were high ball hitting that fastball. So maybe he just kind of got coupled with a team that likes to hit where he likes to pitch. Which, well, yeah. Know. And I mean, the Rays are pretty much, I mean, it's them and the Braves right now yeah. as the best team in baseball. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. All right. So take us to strike three. All right. So strike three, and we're not going to do ACL this week. It's essentially Luis Camposano and Robert Suarez rehabs, but we got a little bit of that here. So Saturday has been a tough stretch for the Chihuahuas, losing 10 of the last 12 games. But on the brighter side of things, Luis Camposano began his rehab assignment and went two for three with two singles and was behind the dish till Kevin Pulowiecki replaced him in the sixth. He also hit a double this weekend. 
uh, on he Sunday. He smoked that double. Yeah. He hit that to the deepest part of that park. Yeah, so Jose Azucar continued to deliver as he drove into of El Paso's three runs. Relievers Sean Poppin and Jared Coning uh, both pitched scoreless outings. Brett Sullivan had four hits, including his fourth homer of the season. The four-hit affair extended the 29-year-old's hitting streak to five games. While El Paso has struggled this month, Sullivan has swung a hot bat, hitting 450, 577, 700. Boy, I love seeing Brett Sullivan continue to mash. Hell and yeah. I, I don't know when he's going to get a chance to come back up um, because you got Sanchez. He's pretty much locked down yeah. the starter role. And then you got Camposano. You figure he's going to come back whenever they deem him healthy. Uh, but I'd love to see Brett get another chance. He's hitting so well, and he was pretty impressive while he was up. Yeah. Okay, so I'll take us home with the ACL. It's it's a quick little stuff here. Uh, but on Tuesday, Luis Campusano, Robert Suarez, and Corey Howell all made rehab appearances. Uh, Campusano had two doubles and five at-bats at DH. Suarez recorded a pair of outs but got a bit of complex league treatment. He allowed a pair of hits, a walk, and three runs, although one was unearned. He worked at 95 to 97 and showed feel for his slider. So the, the complex league treatment... He's got a bunch of teenagers playing behind him. Yeah. It's it's hot as heck out there. You know, so what what's the quality of the defense going to be? It's you know weird stuff happens out there in, in yeah. the in the desert. It goes um, very fast. Yeah, for sure. Uh, with Camposano in the DH slot, Corey Howell made his first appearance in the field as he works back from his latest shoulder injury. While the right-handed outfielder went 0 for 2 with a walk at the plate, he threw out a runner at third base. So shoulder must be feeling all right. Dylan Lesko extended to two innings for the first time and had the best results of his pro career. Last year's first rounder allowed two hits while striking out three. The 19-year-old will continue to stretch out over the coming weeks as he moves further away from his pre-draft Tommy John surgery and could get to Lake Elsinore later in the summer. Um, and then we've got a, fi- a couple final notes here about Camposano and Suarez. But I mean, really, the, the story of it all is that these guys are rehabbing. They're finishing the day healthy. They're looking good so far. Um, team really needs Robert Suarez back badly. You know, and, and I tell you, and they could use Luis Camposano. Um, I, Sanchez has been doing well. You know, he, he's hitting, he's kind of cool off of late, but he's still getting the ball hell of a lot more than Austin Nola, and that's fine. But, you know, the, the I thought when Camposano and Nola kind of started the season that maybe Camposano would still take a little more of that playing time away from Nola simply because of the bat. Um, so it's going to be interesting once he does get healthy and he's done rehabbing, are they going to keep him down there for a while? You know, what they're going to do, what are they going to do? Um, they could carry three catchers and they could carry three catchers, but that, that sounds like it might be a tough, might be a tough play. So there's going to be some, uh, certainly going to be some things coming up in the, after the all-star break where we're going to get some health back. We're going to get some guys coming back. Um, certainly Austin, Austin Nola has a minor league option remaining. He does, so he could be optioned down there to maybe to find a swing. We don't know, but I, I think the second half of the season does have some upside with guys coming back, uh, hopefully with some health, some rest and relaxation, all the superlatives, um, and hyperbole that, that you want. You know, it's like spring training. Like the spring, every spring, everyone's zero and zero. Uh, coming out of the gate, we got to get hot. We got we to gotta take it to the Phillies. Um, we play them right out of the gate. I'm not sure who we play after that, but it would be There's nice. There's a double header mixed in there, too. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be nice to come back and get some W's. Well, you know what? Before Between now and then, I'm going to relax. I'm going to pour myself a cool drink. And I'm going to try to always look on the bright side of life. 
You can find me on Twitter at SD. You can find me at Zippy underscore TMS. Uh, let's go Padres organization go Padres. Right on the bottom.